0: This is Jay Baer from Convince & Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy Tyler and this week's special guest.
1: Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip. As always, I've got Tyler Lassard joining me from Vidyard. And today, we are going to dive into a whole bunch of fun stuff with a good friend of ours, Ollie Gardner from Unbounce. It's going to be a great podcast today. So excited to talk about some of the things Ollie's working on from a thought leadership perspective, as well as conversion optimization, which is something that all of us as marketers need to own. Tyler, you want to bring Ollie in? in here? Yeah, absolutely.
2: And uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to today's session. And I am uh, extremely excited to to have Ollie Gardner with us, who's somebody who brings a diverse set of experiences in not only marketing and communications, but in um, running a business and being part of a high growth company that has to do everything it can uh, to survive, then grow and become a market leader. So welcome to the podcast, Ollie. Uh, Maybe you could kick things off just by introducing yourself and uh, how you got started in the world at Unbounce.
3: Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, yes, I'm one of six co-founders at Unbounce, which kind of surprises a lot of people. It's not very common. And we started seven and a half years ago. I Before that, I've got a hugely varied background from developer to uh, interaction designer, usability, creative director. Then I became a marketer the day we started the company because we didn't have a marketer. <laughs> so that's what got me into that. And, yeah, so over time, you know, I grew a marketing team to kind of take over from that. And now most of my time is spent on the road as a public speaker, which is it's, pretty awesome.
2: It's, it's funny, you know, Randy, I think we have more um, marketers on this podcast who didn't start as marketers uh, when they joined their company or when they, <laughs> they went into their role. I, I, I think it's a, it's a flagship it's, for
1: <laughs> it's so sure, but it's, it also makes sense. Right. I mean, the skill set of a marketer today is not what it was 20 years ago, right? I mean, like, Definitely. you know, I think all three of us probably, you know, sometimes wonder if that, you know, older school marketer who is fully just focused on brand can adjust to the demands of conversion and things like that. And that's where, you know, your, your experience, whether it be at a developer, Ali, or, or what have you, is, is probably
3: huge. Yeah. And, and it's, it's great because, and I think you're totally right. And I, I didn't have a very good perspective of marketers, not pers- uh, opinion. When I started, I was like, ah, marketers are sleazy, you know. I think I connected it more with sales, but I think there's also a, a culture of, I mean, we have a sales team now, so I can't say I, I,
1: that. I think half the people listening to this podcast just, they like, screw it, I'm going on to the next one. This guy's calling me
3: sleaze. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I didn't, I thought they were kind of, I don't know, it was kind of my mission when we, when we started that I was going to do things differently. You know, I, I'd seen a lot of marketing departments where they weren't really very accountable you know, there wasn't much measurement going on. It was just like, spend lots of money, do lots of stuff. But then there was no data in there for, for the most part. So that's why it was kind of interesting to start in this, you know, this age where data is hugely important.
1: You mean like the people who are just like, well, I kept it within budget.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: Favorite line, right? <laughs>
2: so Ollie let me uh, let me ask you it's uh, you know you've you've been on a, a long journey at, at unbounce and you started off uh, on in I guess being marketing uh, and then growing a marketing team and uh, you know you've now taken on the role of being an advocate an evangelist a public speaker and, and uh, a thought leader in this market so what um, what are you talking about these days what's your what's your favorite topic as it pertains to you know modern marketing and um, you know what's what's your next what's your next topic about.
3: Mhm. It's called what I'm working on right now is called data-driven design. So it's 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 I see a lot of problems in marketing teams between the different people in the team, uh, the say the marketer, the designer, the copywriter. There's a lot of tension, there's a lot of broken processes that go into that, and I've observed it for years and I want to try and do something about it. I mean, if you think like most and I've done a lot of interviewing, uh, anonymous interviews of people lately, to try and get kind of the the real inside feelings about this kind of thing. And I've got some cool data from that. Uh, like most, there's a large majority of designers, they have to start their work before they're given any copy, and and they're not really given any customer data at the beginning of a project. So they're kind of just like winging it, you know, going based on what they've done before or what the competition's doing, or and they essentially start building templated systems that have no real fundamental backing behind them and then the copywriter a week later will go like here's the first stab and oh wait the headline doesn't fit in the design well i'm gonna make the headline shorter you can't do that that's my head that's my headline you know and there's t- this tension then the marketer comes along critiques it all says oh i like this one better and they have no you know skill in critiquing design Although from my research, 92% of the, the marketers I spoke to thought they were qualified to provide design feedback. <laughs> That's total bullshit. <laughs> I've been on both sides of that and it's not true. There's some weird overconfidence there and it creates a lot of tension, uh, particularly from the des- the designer, that that part of the relationship. You know, marketers think designers are just all into like, you know, fluffy, pretty pictures, and they don't respect data, but then they don't give it to them. So, like, it's this constant struggle. So what I want to do is try and kind of democratize the data that's available, because there's so much data available. It's too much. And a designer doesn't know where to get it or what's there, and often the marketer doesn't. So I'm trying to bring it down to a simpler level where, say, you're working on a project, and... There's like multi ways into, multiple ways into this, kind of making like a big data library. So if you're a designer and you're working on a project and there's different things, there's trends, design trends, there's page elements, there's types of page. Whatever you're working on, essentially I have this giant master grid where you can go, ooh, I have to work on a promo slider because my boss or client said I need to have one. I look along, uh, which types of data can influence my design decisions for that? It's like here's three things you should look at to inform your design decisions instead of just going, here's everything, don't know what to do with it, well, neither does anyone else. So I was trying to narrow the focus so people can actually make informed design decisions. Uh, so, yeah. Shit.
1: Tyler, you and I both after this podcast probably have to go and apologize to our designers (laughs) (laughs) because I'm like listening to Ollie, and I'm like, I think I did that three times
2: today. Well, it's I mean, it's such an important (laughs) topic, though. Right. And we've we've gone through this in our own team of, um, you know, realizing like, hey, at the end of the day, this program we're building or this campaign that we're building is all about the conversion. Right. And when you go into it and, you know, everybody isn't aligned on the goal of that campaign, um, you know, things go off. Right. And if design isn't, you know, working alongside the copywriters and working alongside the video producer and working alongside the web team, to you know, collectively think about okay, what is our goal here, and how can we build this in a way that marches towards that goal? As opposed, and the goal being you know getting somebody to act and convert on this, as opposed to the goal of writing content and making it look good, right? And and I think too often we think about hey, the goal of this program is to write great copy people will like and um, make it look great and make them want to consume it. But if to me, if you're not thinking about the conversion. As a part of that project, uh, you, you miss the boat, and that's when things start to get go south with teams, and, and fingers start to get pointed because you don't get the conversions, and everybody thinks it was somebody else's fault.
3: Totally, uh, and you know, d- the designers really want the the help on this. They, there's nothing worse than someone saying last minute, "Oh, oh, can you just make this look good, or can you just whip something up?" You know, <laughs> whip something up. Like, come on! Like, th- th- there's so much disrespect in that kind of statement, and it's very common. Uh, so, yeah, it's something that needs to be fixed. I mean, think of a simple example, like at Unbounce, you know, we're a landing page platform. We just released overlays, like hyper-targeted overlays. It's pretty cool, but if you imagine a scenario, and this, this is based on a, a test we did. So you have, it's a lead gen overlay, has one form field. Sales comes in and says, actually, we need four form fields. Can you ask them these things? Sure. Just make the thing bigger, right? But then all of the results start tanking. And it's not because there are four form fields, because that's not that big of a deal always. You know, it might, it might ding conversion a little bit because there's more effort involved. But actually what the problem was, if you look at the data, it's because the overlay then became 840 pixels tall. And 20% of your visitors, if you look in Google Analytics, have a browser that's smaller than 800 pixels in height. So it you can't see the whole thing and it's a terrible content experience. Cause you get there and you have to scroll just to see the overlay. Never mind the page. So that if the designer is told that single piece of data, they can change the design of this thing, put the form on the side, make it wider and not as tall. They can design an experience that's relevant to the customers who are receiving that thing. So that's an example of data driven design and it's, it's, it's really simple if you have these little bits of insight that you provide to people when they're doing their work everything becomes simpler and everyone becomes smarter
1: that makes so much sense it's it's funny I'll, I'll share with you guys after this you know a form that i found the other day that was so clever like you know they basically did it as like a fill in the blank words right uh oh. almost like mad libs remember when we were younger mm-hmm. uh, which was genius in concept, but from a design perspective, it feels like you have to fill out like a Mad Lips form, right? <laughs> right? Which, like, no one's gonna do, right? Um, and, and I think sometimes, to your point, we get so caught up on the creative idea versus the ability to go and execute that. So, you know, what's your suggestion coming away from all this of like, when should designers actually get involved in the creative process?
3: Right at the beginning, I mean, that, 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 the discovery, the beginning of a project, where where you should be digging in and finding as much possible data as you can, or doing a little bit of research at the beginning, that's that's when they have to be there. Otherwise, it it, it just doesn't work as well if if that isn't the case. I mean, it seems like such a simple answer, but it but people aren't really doing it, and. I, had, I was thinking about something there. Oh, yeah, so you mentioned that. I've seen that. It's really cool, and it's the kind of thing you do once, but if you ever saw it again, you'd be like, no, <laughs> stop doing that. I don't want to fill that Mad Lib thing in. You know, I'll look at it. I'll share it with the team on Slack, but then I don't ever want to do that again. And that's an example of a design trend, and that's a big part of what I'm trying to dig into because design trends come along every year, they have to, so we have to evolve the way we deliver interaction methods and, and visual styles. But a lot of them are never validated. They just spring up, everybody copies them because it looks good or, or they want to, you know, keep up the Joneses or whatever. And they're not validated, so they come in and they, they might not perform well. And the, the worst culprit are theme designers. It's not their fault. They're trying to design themes. But, you know, you go get a WordPress theme and it has every possible design trend stuffed into it. You know, it's going to have background videos, uh, parallax, a promo slider, scroll jacking, which is the worst thing ever. And this, that and the next thing. They're all thrown in there. And because they have to say, oh, we have all of these shiny objects. But then someone who doesn't know about this isn't informed about how things work can come and get this, like a startup. They need a website really quickly. And they're putting out this terrible experience without really knowing it. And that's kind of that's kind of unfair. So what I'm trying to do is take these design trends, looking back over history, and, and especially what's coming out now, and trying to uh, figure out what data we need to be able to analyze them and to validate them. And one of the best examples that happened recently, and it's connected to what you just said about that Mad Libs thing, a guy. <laughs> Put a script on GitHub, GitHub at the end of last year for a conversational form. So what it does, if you you put this on your page, the script, it will change your regular form into a conversational form, which is kind of like a live chat thing. So all of a sudden, it's like, oh, what's hello? What's your name? And there's just a single entry field. So you know you're not clicking through fields; you're just like typing like on live chat, and it's kind of right. it appears like a conversation, and it's kind of cool, but it's not been validated. So I started, I ran a test doing this, and I used Hotjar to put some session recordings on there so I could actually visualize how people were interacting with this thing. And five minutes after I put it up, this guy comes, goes to the site, and I watch the recording. And he, he's, he does something wrong, and the error handling is broken because the script doesn't really know how to deal with the error handling that exists on this particular form. So there's no way of solving the problem. And this guy's clicking around like some crazy person. Like the the mouse is going everywhere. It's like a million clicks a second. Um, And then refresh the page, goes through the exact same experience. It's terrible. So I was feeling really guilty that I've ruined this person's afternoon. And then Nicole, my fiance, who's way smarter than me clearly, goes, but he put his email address in, you can see it. (laughs) So you should reach out to him. I'm like, oh, brilliant. So I email the guy and I say, hey, I'm really sorry about that bad experience. I'm testing this new interaction mechanism, this conversational form. I watched a recording and you had such a bad experience. I'm really, really sorry. Here's the content you were trying to get. Again, my apologies. Two minutes later, he replies, wow. In 25 years as a as a marketing professional, I've never seen such a good, uh, you know, explana- apology, explanation of, uh, you know, trying to fix a bad experience. I'm, I will be much more likely to engage with the unbound brand as a result. So it, it was just as amazing. Yeah, and, and I fixed the bugs because I saw that. And now I'm running an A/B test to see if it's if it's actually any good. I had to take the validation off so people can put in fake data, but um, and I'll I'll look at that after to see if there's more or less. But it's converting twenty percent better right now.
1: That's to, wild. Yeah, as you were just telling that story, I was thinking about being in one of those phone routing messages where you're like, you know, I just want to talk to the operator. They're like, oh, well, we can't let you talk to the operator. Yeah, you have to answer the next question. You're like, (laughs) you start screaming and yelling. And if only, Uh if only they could adjust on the fly that quickly, I would maybe not hang up or give the person who answers the toughest time in the world. Um, This is awesome, Ollie. We're going to take a quick break here, hear from a couple of our sponsors, and then we're going to be back to figure out how you come up with all these ideas and what that creative process is like.
0: Hey Zoe. Hey Kelly! Do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, him! But also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, aka all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. And we'll hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip? It lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. <laughs> Amazing. How do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo.
1: Welcome back to Content Pros. So we're on with Ollie Gardner from Unbound, and we're talking all about how designers work and this, this amazing set of ideas that Ollie ended up dealing it with. And you know, the, a lot of these ideas are the same type of ideas that us as content marketers struggle with on a day to day basis. And some of these ideas tied to this Content Pros podcast. Our parent here is Convince and Convert. That's where Jay Bear is associated with. And lately, if you've been following, Jay's been doing a great job at highlighting how to succeed as a content marketer. And I encourage everyone to take a look at contentmarketingclass.com. This is something that a lot of us as content marketers have craved or those that we're bringing on to our teams and we want to help ramp them up. So Jay's put together the ultimate Content marketing class at contentmarketingclass.com. Encourage you guys to check that out. Tyler, why don't we keep digging here with Ollie?
2: Yeah, well, one of the things that um, I wanted to, to ask you as a follow up to what you were talking about, Ollie, because what you were to me, what you're talking about there in, you know, ensuring somebody has a great experience on that landing page and will ultimately, you know, take that conversion step. Um, and, and to me, that is really the epitome of uh, CRO or conversion rate optimization. Um, which is an acronym that, you know, my, my team knows and loves, and, and I think many people do. But would you mind just for this audience talking about, you know, what CRO is uh, from your perspective? And and as a follow on to that, who do you generally see owning the responsibility for optimizing the performance of landing pages? Is it the designer? Is it is it the web team? Is it the digital team? Is it somebody dedicated? Who owns this notion um, as you're building out these programs to optimize those if it's not ollie gardner sitting behind there watching somebody
3: (laughs) (laughs) we don't want that that's a kind of part of the reason why it's good me being a speaker i'm I'm very much an individual contributor now i mean i advise the marketing team but that's mainly what i do because i was a terrible boss (laughs) um, yeah so i mean cro it's interesting i mean first of all could you have picked I pick a different acronym it's (laughs) Croatia. Come on. (laughs) And, uh, I, 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 you know, a lot of my friends are like the the main pros in the industry. And for the most part, there's kind of a movement to, to pull the R out of that equation. It's not about the conversion rate. It's just about the number of conversions, conversion optimization. You want more conversions, more money. It's not the mean, The rate, the rate's not important. I mean, um, you know i think it was Peply or someone said uh, you know if you want to increase your, your conversion rate just cut your price in half you know <laughs> so that, that that's so it's not a smart measurement um but yeah i mean at the end of the day optimization is just making something better it, from whatever metric you happen to be caring about at the time that could be you know uh if lifetime value is the metric you care most about and it should be then You need to identify your ideal customer by looking at, uh, you know, your metrics and cohort analysis and how long people stay with you, what features they use and how long they stick around, how much they pay you, figure out your ideal customer. And then you have to design an experience for them so that you're optimizing your business, you're optimizing your site and you're doing it for the reason you should be doing it rather than can we make this page convert better than it is? That's not the right approach, uh, you know. It, it's about making relevant, semantically relevant experiences for the people you want to um, attract. And you know, I I'm a big fan of just optimization in general, like optimizing life. And Nicole and I are always kind of talking about this. I, I mag, being MacGyver is my favorite pastime in the world, you know. Whether it's whether it's hacking. Uh, some weird thing on the wall of our workshop in the basement so I can stick all of my, a whole bunch of tools in this thing. Um, or fixing a creaky floor or whatever it is. But I think when you have an optimization lens as you go through life, you become a better marketer, a better, a better designer, because we're all designers in some way, shape or form. We just don't really class it as that or think about it, but we are, we're all responsible for some part of the experience. And it's it's funny, recently, so I, I mentioned before we started, Randy, that I've been spending like crazy amounts of time on this talk, like 16-hour days for, for weeks. And one night I was up really late, like 2, 3 a.m., and I had the munchies, so I went and got a bag of Doritos from the other room, and Nicole's trying to sleep in the other room, and she wouldn't be able to hear this, but I, I was just being paranoid that every time I put my hands in it, it was rustling like crazy, it was just too loud, I was like, oh, so I felt uncomfortable i thought well how can i optimize this i can make this experience better for everyone (laughs) so i went to the bathroom i got a pair of scissors and i cut the the bag in half took the top half off because there's nothing in there anyway right so now i had this perfect little bowl where i could grab the chips without touching any packaging and it was perfectly silent
1: (laughs) fantastic how did you manage the crunch of the dorito itself like that's (laughs) That's where my wife wants to kill me. Like the crunch of food is just like, it's like she kills me with their eyes alone on those.
3: (laughs) Well, that's what you just have to put it in your mouth and let it slowly melt, dissolve (laughs) on your tongue and the roof of your mouth, and then it's then it's silent. (laughs)
1: Uh, I I like that tactic.
3: I'm wondering, like, where do these? You know, you talk about being up at
1: two thirty in the morning working on this stuff. I mean, for me, when I'm working on a talk that I'm going to do out there, you know, a lot of the time for me, that's like on a long drive that's that's when it comes to me i've got like two hours sometimes i actually pull over the side of the road because i'm like that's really good i gotta jot that down but like mm-hmm. when do when do these ideas come to you and and when do you find that you get the most creative and how much time i mean 16 hour days on a talk how many hours goes into a talk for you
3: oh it's ridiculous a lot i mean we have a giant whiteboard at work and, I, and i'll fill that thing like 50 feet of concepts um, you know, and I'll do that in an hour and then I'll take a photo and I'll start all over again. And this, this just goes on and on. And I'm a little OCD. I like to call it OCG. Cause I, those are my initials. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. uh, um, so yeah, so I tend to, I can go down some giant rabbit holes sometimes and it gets me into trouble, uh, because I'll, I'll, i just spend too long in it. But I'm, I'm very fortunate that I get to spend this much time on a presentation. Most people don't have Are afforded that amount of time, Uh, but in terms of creativity, I mean, most of my inspiration usually comes after a bottle of red wine, (laughs)
1: like 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 many of us.
3: (laughs) And I do a lot of my best work I do in airport bars and hotel bars. that's my kind of I I like the the noise and the chaos of that situation It, it actually instead of distracting me it focuses me I'm very good in that kind of situation and I can you know that's where a lot of my thinking tends to come from
1: how, how do you polish some of those ideas? I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of this is people are listening. I mean, any piece of content we're creating, we should be testing, right? That's that's the point you've been making here, right? Is, you know, just don't go and do it. Make sure it's working. So, you know, before you go out on the road and, you know, take a new keynote with you, who's your audience that you're testing some of this with? Is is it your wife or fiance rather? Or is it, uh, you know, who's who's your your benchmark?
3: Yeah, typically it's no one because I, I'm very much an ambivert, which is like the middle of the road for extrovert and introvert on stage. I'm an extrovert in real life, unless I know everyone in the room, uh, I'm, I'm quite an introvert. So I don't like small crowds, uh, for a talk, especially one person to be. And I, I like to deliver it the first time on stage, not, not in front of, you know, a few people It just makes me feel awkward. Uh, so, but I do a lot of practice, but, a couple of times, it's usually it goes great. But a couple of times recently, with this talk, my first go at doing this was in Sweden uh, about six weeks ago, and it was it was hell. You know, I finished my deck at three. My well, what I considered finished at that point, is still a massive work in progress. I finished that at three a.m. Got up at six a.m. for a sound check. Spoke at nine a.m. And it was, it was it was chaos and it was, there was too much in it. I had to speak way too fast. So sometimes that's that's your testing. You do that and you know, you listen when the people laughing, when are they taking the phone out to take a picture of the of the screen? What are they tweeting about? And that's that's your experimentation and that's how you learn what works and what doesn't uh, so that you can kind of amplify the things that are working and then strip out everything that, that's not. It's uh, it's it's very interesting. I did something very risky. For the start of this talk, it's um, I wrote a Medium post a couple of years ago. Uh, can I swear on this? I can bleep myself if not.
1: Yeah, it's all good. All right. we're, we're, yeah. we're cool with
3: that, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, it was called Fuck Data. And it was just like a moment of anger. It was this internal dialogue about we spent a lot of money and time creating an explainer video. And we put it on a site and it did nothing. It was just a, it was just an absolute waste of time and money. It had no impact, and it was just a, it was an embarrassing piece of creative, um, and it, it just made me think of those times where you know someone's like, "Well, I don't care if it doesn't perform well or make it worse. I want it on there anyway." So it was this internal struggle, and so I open my talk right now with essentially that. So I have I have a record an audio recording, single slide, so I can't click through, of my inner my inner voice. So I come on stage and it starts talking to me and then I'm having to talk back to it. So I'm basically acting out this thing uh, on stage live and really risky, but it's a lot of fun.
2: So uh, let me let me ask you, there's one other um Campaign that you've done that—that uh, that I think is 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 brilliant—and um, and it's probably worthwhile for the the folks listening to this to check out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's on that same same vein of you know seeing seeing pages or, or things that aren't working. It's called the, the landing page sessions. Yeah. And um, and I think for all of you what, uh, listening, you can Google landing page sessions. Ollie Gardner, you'll find it on the Unbound site. And um, what I love about it, it was a video series. It looks like there's about twelve episodes up there now, um, where in each episode you actually go and and dissect uh somebody's uh landing page or, or certain web pages and you know talk about your perspective on you know how it could be improved or what didn't work or what worked yeah. um it, which I think is you know it's a very simple idea uh, but the way that you executed on it you know seemed really effective and um you know I just could could you share knowing that that's been a high performing campaign yeah. for you guys where where did that come from and uh, and and what did you learn what what really worked in that to to make it such a success for you guys
3: yeah, it's it was a great project, and hopefully we'll do a second season soon. Um, it all started years ago. We had this show called Page Fights, which was uh, me and Pep Laya from Conversion XL. We were kind of the judges. We'd have guest judges on there, and we would. It was a little bit off-brand, uh, and we just kicked the crap out of landing pages. It was very unfiltered, swearing, all kinds of stuff, and it was a lot of fun. But the problem was, and we had some crazy fans. You know, they they'd get together in a room a meeting room for lunch have a pizza party and watch the show it, it, it was an amazing concept but people hated it for the same reason they loved it that they, they either loved the way we did it or they they were turned off by it so we couldn't really grow it and so pep jumped on growth hackers sometime and he wrote a post that says hey we're having trouble growing this what would you do to grow this show and make it more successful uh because the struggle was, there was we couldn't. There was no ROI. <laughs> Interestingly, fast forward. I mean, I'll get to landing page sessions. Fast forward. Uh, Nicole, the reason, the, the kind of the way that Nicole and I actually met, she saw me on page fights years ago, and then she, met, you know, she came to a conference, met me there, and one thing leads to another, and we are engaged. Now
2: that, that's know, conversion part, optimization right
1: there, my <laughs> <Holden>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I went up.
3: <laughs> at which point, Pep said to me, there's, your, there's the ROI of page fights, <laughs> 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 which I thought was brilliant. Um, but anyway, so we canned that because we couldn't grow it. And that's where the landing page sessions came from. So instead of it being this longer hour thing where we, we beat up lots of things, it was a singly, single campaign focus. So it would be landing page. It would be emails or ads, whatever they did. So there's more context. You weren't looking at more than just the page. And I yeah, I dig really deep into that. It's just 15, 20 minutes. The reason it was so successful, though, is because we had the product in it, which we never did before. We were always very kind of soft sell. And this is too, but, you know, so whatever the topic I'm explaining, the concepts I'm explaining as I critique the page, I then go into the Unbounce builder and I work on the page to make the improvements I'm talking about. So it's very rele- relevant to what I'm talking about. It's not it doesn't come across as salesy. It just comes across as useful. And that's why it, it's been our best performing campaign ever and I think for that reason and uh, yeah it was a lot of fun
1: that's awesome. you know, Ollie, one of the things we like to do as we wrap up here is we like to get to know our guests so that people tuning in know how to follow you, how to meet you at a at a session, how to maybe get engaged to you in the process. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you've done a good job for us already. But, uh, you know, so I've been trying to find some good questions that you have and, you know, hit on as, as we go through. I've got a few that I'm curious now. So one is, you know, OCG. Um, so what's what's the C stand for? Is this oh, an embarrassing one? You, yeah, I <laughs> know.
3: Yeah,
1: you, you listen. You dropped it, man. You dropped it.
3: <laughs> it's Charles. You,
1: you can either tell us. Okay, I was going to say you can either tell us that, or whether it's true that you once almost legally changed your name to fill in the blank.
3: Landing page. That that is a true story. I actually researched it because when I started, you know, I was our marketer. I did so many guest posts back then. And I figured that if I change my name to landing page, when I put it on the, the, the bio at the bottom of these blog posts, it would, the term landing page would link to Unbounce.com. So I thought it was the best link building strategy in the world. I, I did all the research and it's not that hard to change. It's just really hard to change back.
1: That's <laughs> that's <laughs> fair. Yeah. All All right. Right.
3: That's, in front of a judge to kind of explain why you're doing this, and you can just imagine a, a judge in it, some kind of court or something saying, "You know what." I, you're, you're going to have to suffer through that name for another year. I'm not I'm not granting this. You're an idiot. <laughs> you know, Mr. Lanning Page, you just deal with that.
1: <laughs> that's, that's an amazing story. Uh, Ollie, this has been so much fun uh, to have you on here. I'll, I'll do a shameless job, which is that you're actually going to be speaking at the conference that I do at Uberflip this summer in Toronto, yeah. August 22nd and 23rd. So if people have enjoyed listening to Ollie, come to the content experience and, and check out every everything going on there. If you've enjoyed this podcast, again, there's so much great content that we have at ContentProsPodcast.com. All the other back episodes that I encourage you to tune in and check out, as well as just check out Convince and Convert, as well as the Content Marketing Class at ContentMarketingClass.com, which we spoke about earlier. Uh, Jay Bear is really leading in, in new ways in terms of how we think about strategically approaching content, and I hope uh, this podcast has been helpful in that same way. If you've enjoyed it, check it out on iTunes, on Stitcher. Leave us a review as you go to download it and uh, let us know what we can do to keep making this engaging. Until next time, on behalf of Tyler Lassard of Vidyard, I'm Randy Frisch at Uberflip. And Ollie, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: This is Jay Baer, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com.